Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. First, our weekly review of business stories from Caixin. Dreams of a baby boom continue to evade Chinese officials. Fewer babies were born in China in 2017, 630,000 fewer than the year before, despite Beijing having ended the decades-long policy restricting most couples to just one child. A mini-baby boom was seen in 2016 when the new government policy took effect, allowing Chinese couples to have two children. That year, 1.3 million more babies were born compared with 2015. Experts are proposing incentives such as tax breaks and subsidies to encourage couples to have a second child, but with education and housing costs soaring in China, many couples aren't embracing the idea of increasing their family size. China's economic growth accelerated for the first time in seven years in 2017 and beat the government's target. The Chinese economy's resilience may give policymakers more leeway to continue with efforts to rein in debt, reduce pollution, and overhaul state-owned enterprises, measures that could constrain expansion this year. China's GDP increased by 6.9% last year, higher than 2016 6.7%, and the first acceleration since 2010. It also beat the government's growth target of around 6.5%. Economists attributed the expansion to a range of factors, including growth in government-supported infrastructure investment, a robust recovery in overseas demand for Chinese exports, and resilient real estate investment despite government policies to cool the property market. These helped counter the negative impact of government campaigns to curb pollution and rein in financial risks and debt. Shanghai subway passengers can now use a mobile app to pay for fares. QR code readers have been installed in all 389 metro stations in the city, which allow passengers to use an app developed by metro operator Shanghai Shentong Metro Group. The app will connect to the payment system of Alipay and China Union Pay. No word on if or when the Metro app will support WeChat Pay. Alibaba-affiliated Ant Financial, which owns Alipay and WeChat owner Tencent, are fiercely vying to be the digital payment method for China's sprawling public transportation networks. 
Japanese houseware retailer Muji is opening its first hotel in the southern Chinese city of Shenzhen. The rooms, ranging in price from $150 to $400 a night, follow Muji's minimalist aesthetic. Equipped with the brand's wooden furniture with light, simple hues and unadorned bedding and toiletries, the hotel features a gym, a Muji diner restaurant, a 24-hour library, and three meeting rooms. The operator is the hospitality management unit of the Shenzhen government, owned by Shomyep Group. A second Muji hotel will open in Beijing in March, followed by a third one in Tokyo in the spring of 2019. Demand for smartphones in China has become so low that Apple's flagship iPhone X is selling for less than its official price. The 6% price difference of a silver 64-gig iPhone X on JD.com and Apple's official Chinese site epitomizes the current sluggish demand for phones in the country. Smartphone shipments in China declined nearly 10% to 450 million units in the first 11 months of 2017, while the number of new models launched by manufacturers plummeted 27%. Google has opened a fourth office in China in Shenzhen, marking its latest step. Back into the market eight years after falling out with Beijing over the country's strict censorship policies, Shenzhen is China's most successful special economic zone and high-tech city, home to national telecom giant Huawei and leading online game operator Tencent. Google's three other offices are in Beijing, Shanghai, and Guangzhou. The company had more than 600 employees in China at the end of last year, about half of them engaged in global product development. That number is almost Google China's headcount in 2010. That year marked a major turning point for Google in China when it shuttered its locally based search engine after refusing to continue to comply with Beijing's strict rules policing sensitive content. The company's presence dropped off after that, but it has always maintained a sales force in China. More recently, Google has been taking steps to build up its China presence amid speculation that it would like to return to the market in a more active way. Its Android operating system is dominant in China, the world's largest smartphone market, where it is installed on 90% of all phones sold. Let's turn now, as we do each week, to some of Taishin Global's reporters and editors for a look at some of the big stories in the news. First up is Jingxun Tang, reporter at Caixin Global, to talk to us about the reforms that China Ecom has just announced involving the options issue. So tell us what's happening and what is the story here, Jingxun? Well, the story is that as part of its big reform plan, China Ecom is going to offer its most valuable employees the option to buy shares in the company at a price that is cheaper than what it's worth currently. And the news is that they've finally decided who these thousands of people are going to be. This sounds pretty normal, though, isn't it? I mean, what makes this newsworthy? Before we get into that, let me talk a little bit about the background of this decision. So, like many state-owned enterprises, China Unicom has been trying to streamline itself and become more efficient in recent years. Part of that is bringing in private investors. So, for instance, last year they sold a significant amount of shares to private investors, including Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent, the big Chinese tech companies. Another part of this reform is changing their personnel, or at least the way they manage their personnel. So, they actually have been doing things like making their managers take exams or rate each other in separate rooms, like. A very secret, kind of tightly controlled operation, just to see what people thought of each other. And they've cut 
the payroll in many departments and many local subsidiaries. So this incentive plan is kind of like the carrot side of that strategy, you know, where the exams and the rating and firing people were the stick. In August, the company released the details of its incentive plan. It said it was going to give actually hundreds of millions of shares at a price that is more than 40% lower than the price on the Shanghai Stock Exchange to thousands of people in the company. It has now decided who these thousands of people are going to be. Uh, employees of China Yenicom told Tyson last week that these people include mid-level and senior managers and important sales and technology staff. So it sounds like, you know, a great deal for the employees. They get to buy shares in their company at a price that's far lower than they're currently trading on the stock exchange. But there's a catch. Actually, there are several. So what is the catch? First of all, they're not being given the shares. They're, they're being given the option to buy them. And they can't buy them all at once. They have to buy them in three separate lots over five years. And once they've bought them, they can't sell them for two years. This is to stop them from taking advantage of the obvious price difference. The other catch is that they need to meet very high performance standards to even get to buy them in the first place. Things like, you know, 60% profit growth in their division in 2018. Okay, sure, that sounds pretty normal for, I guess, a Western company, for any company in the developed world, but I can see how this might be pretty novel for a big state company in China. Uh, tell us how you think this is going to play out. Well, it's hard to tell how this specific plan will play out, but on the whole, China Yenicom has made some very big changes in the way they manage their personnel. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Jingxuan, thanks for talking to us, and we will check back in with you to see how things end up playing out. Thanks, Kaiser. Thank you. Let's turn next to Doug Young, Managing Editor of Caixin Global. Doug, Alibaba is in the news again this year. Why this time? They have appeared on this, this list that the U.S. publishes every year about the most notorious marketplaces for piracy. Uh, and this is actually quite a long story, but let's just fast forward to the latest chapter, which is basically the U.S. publishes this list every year, and it spotlights physical and online marketplaces where there's a lot of piracy, uh, trafficking and pirated goods going on. Um, Alibaba runs this marketplace called Taobao, and Taobao appeared on the list last year, uh, which was much to Alibaba's dismay because they, they think they've been doing a lot to combat piracy. And the latest edition of the list just came out about a week ago. And lo and behold, Taobao was on the list again for a second straight year. So basically, this, this list is really highly symbolic. It doesn't carry any legal clout. Uh, you know, there's no other ramifications behind sort of being shamed and, you know, being made to look like they, they run this marketplace full of trafficking and pirated stuff. Uh, so Alibaba has, has really sort of in very strong language, they've, they've, lashed out and and accused the US of protectionism and and uh, that this list is politicized and you know it's it's turned into an an interesting story because you know under the current administration some people are saying uh Donald Trump might be taking a harder line towards China and you know it's an interesting question 
if they are putting Taba on this list, how much truth is there to it nowadays? I mean, forget five years ago, but how much truth is it to, to, is there today? Well, I think this is like a, a really interesting case because it's a case where I think the U.S. was probably cutting Alibaba some slack. Uh, what you have to look at is are pirated goods being trafficked there? And two, is Alibaba doing anything to address the problem? In answer to the first question, I've heard from other people that it's still pretty easy to buy pirated goods on Taobao. And that's not that hard to understand because there's just thousands of these mom and pop merchants and uh, they can, you know, it's very difficult to police that kind of a marketplace. And, and Alibaba has systems in place where people can file complaints, but then it's got to go through all sorts of procedures to take down a site because anybody can level a complaint and so forth. So it's, it's a slow process and it's not necessarily that efficient. Then the uh, second thing you have to look at is their intention. Well, is Alibaba, you know, being aggressive and trying to clean up piracy? I think a lot of people would say it probably is, although it's also making a very high-profile effort to publicize that fact. So it comes down to, do we decide whether or not to put it on the list based on, is there piracy on the site, or is Alibaba moving aggressively to tackle the problem? And in this case, obviously, they chose the first one because there is still a lot of pirated stuff being traded on the site even though Alibaba's trying to clean it up. And I think that's where their big objection is, is they're saying, we've done a lot to try and tackle this problem. You know, we should be rewarded for that. But they weren't. Okay, Doug, a second story about China's outbound investment. Uh, It's January, so lots of full-year numbers for 2017 still coming out. But this one was particularly interesting. Outbound direct investment fell for the first time since this metric has been tracked. So uh, that's what, like 15 years now. And it fell by 30%. That is remarkable. So Doug, why did it fall and what is going on here? Most people are attributing it to two things. Uh, The first one was a very highly publicized campaign by Beijing to sort of clamp down on offshore and M&A last year. And that started out as as an attempt to defend the Chinese currency, the yuan, because when money flows out, when Chinese companies buy offshore acquisitions, they need dollars or other currency. So they sell their yuan. And that was putting downward pressure on the yuan. They, They originally started trying to clamp down on these to prop up the currency, but then the, the whole campaign took on a broader tone of like, there's a lot of speculative, frivolous uh, M&A going on. And, and a lot of that was for things like sports teams and Hollywood studios and trophy properties and that sort of thing. So China really actively started ordering banks to like cut off credit, you know, not give money for companies to buy this stuff and taking other measures to, to slow down this outbound investment. Then the second factor is the U.S. Uh, has become a bit more aggressive about reviewing Chinese M&A in the U.S. and, and in Europe, for that matter, um, for national security concerns. And they, they actually vetoed a few big deals. So that's also slowing down the, the figure, maybe deals that would have been approved before. Uh, are getting vetoed now under a more protectionist or whatever you want to say, a more scrutinous uh, Trump administration. So that's also slowing down the figure. And, you know, it's quite possible it could continue to fall this year. (laughs) Scrutinous. Nice word choice. Uh, Well, thanks for the update, Doug. And we will talk to you next week. Okay. Thanks a lot, Kaiser. That's this week's show. Thanks for joining us. Drop me an email at kaiser at subchina.com with your feedback. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SubChina and is produced, recorded, and edited by Kaiser Guo with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. 
Special thanks to Lee Sheen and Tanner Brown of Tyson Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wufei for the music. Be sure to check out the Cynical Podcast, the current affairs show I host with Jeremy Goldhorn, and follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Sign up for a free email newsletter at subchina.com. <laughs>